0: So um, if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to 1 Timothy. If you don't, don't worry at all. I'm going to be going through it slowly. It won't be up on the screen. You can share with someone next to you, but I'll also track slowly through it. So don't worry at all if you haven't brought one with you. If you do have one, I'd love you to turn to that. It is a smaller book towards the end of the Bible. Uh, you sort of go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, go eat popcorn, and then it goes Colossians uh, into Thessalonians, and after that, you get to 1 Timothy. So we are across there. We are going to start reading right at the start, 1 Timothy. But before that, uh, I just want you to know it's been so exciting to follow so many families and hear so many stories of conversations in the past few weeks about faith. I'll share a bit more a bit later, but uh, Tracy Roberts being able to uh, lead someone to the Lord at the back of the service who was up visiting, staying in their B&B. Some of you may have listened to the story. And then gets them along to church, and they give their lives to Jesus, and now they're headed back to South Africa. They're here in a short time, but I was just like, Jesus, that's what it's about. It's about seeing people come from death to life. It's about seeing um, people move from darkness to light. That's what we're about here, and if you've been invited today, you're, you're visiting church, or maybe you're sort of finding out what it's about. I just want to say it is so exciting to have you, and what an opportunity um, for us to explore faith in Christ together, and so The reason why we're looking at Timothy today, as we look a little bit more about church life, is because Timothy is a book written by Paul to a man called Timothy. In many respects, his understudy. In fact, if you look in verse 2. So Paul starts off, uh, verse 1. We'll start at the beginning. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, And of Christ Jesus our hope. Then look what he says. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. So we're not exactly sure how old Timothy was. Uh, Some people, although he's called a young man, some people think he was actually in his 40s. We're not exactly sure. But uh, we know that Paul saw him. Very much as a son in the faith, he was a mentor type role to Timothy. And what happened is, is they headed across, a church was planted in a city called Ephesus. Um, it was a cosmopolitan city, lots of growth happening in that place. And they headed across, uh, a church was planted, and Paul leaves Timothy in charge of this church. And as I go through what we're sharing today, I want you to imagine in many respects, Paul talking to us as Harvest. We're in a city that's growing. It's going through lots of changes, but we're here. We're here for various different reasons. Some of us here for a short time. Some of us have been here for a long time, but we're here. And as I go through this, I want you to imagine in many respects Paul speaking these things to us, to the church that's in Harare and uh, giving us some words on the basis of that. So he's now writing, he's no longer in Ephesus, but he's writing to Timothy, who's maybe a bit young. In some respects, people, he's challenged to not be as timid. So it's a, it's a big task that he has, Paul's writing across to him. And uh, he encourages him, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love Paul's heart, and we're going to see why he has such an understanding of grace as we go Little bit further, so I'm going to draw out five things from chapters one and two, and I hope that these five things will help us see what God has called us to in the city, will help us see what church and church leadership is supposed to be like. And I know that if we grab hold of these five things, this church and the city won't be the same um, as a result. So, the first one that we'll dive into is stand firmly on God's word. First point, Paul's challenge stand firmly on God's word. Look where we get this from. Verse 3 as we drop down. He kicks it in straight away. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, Timothy, so do what I've called you to to do in Ephesus. And Timothy would have shared this with the church and with the church leaders. um, So that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction, the goal of what we share, the goal of what we teach is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So one of the issues that they were struggling with in this church is there are a number of people either purposefully or maybe by accident were starting to share things and starting to teach things that actually weren't in line with the Bible at all. weren't in line with uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey, you know, you need to address this. And he says, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. When we talk about doctrine, we talk about what we believe in our faith, what comes out of the word of God. And it is most definitely under attack in the society in which we lead, particularly from within the church. And I'd say one of the big attacks is the fact that, well, it is God's word but we also um, can adapt and change it. We can, we can take some things and not others because some things were cultural, some things weren't. And obviously what we can do is we can really take the words of Jesus. I've actually been having a chat with a friend of mine recently on this. Um, in fact, two of them who aren't Christ followers. And they've been saying to me, you know, we actually love Jesus' words. We really love what he has to say. But the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament... Isn't, isn't really God's words. You know, it was written by other people, and I did have to say to them, well, the irony is, is that other people actually wrote about the words that Jesus said, so it was other people writing. But this also happens from inside the church. So I've been chatting to a number of friends recently who are really grappling with this, and they're just saying, you know, I, I do take quite a bit of the Bible, but I also understand that a lot of it is just manwritten, and so we can't really take it as God's. So some applies and some doesn't. It's incredibly dangerous, because either this is all and completely God's word, Or it's not. There's no middle ground. It's either everything or nothing, and we've got to take it as it is. And this is what Paul was getting to when he spoke to Timothy. And as a team, I want you to know that we always want to make sure that what we share on Sundays, but what we share in any other context is and is completely out of God's word. And we go together with this as a team and we sit down and we talk about things and, and we discuss it and we challenge each other if there's been something that we're a little bit concerned about. That's why teamwork's so important. But the bottom line is, is we want to know as Harvest that what we care about is that this is faithfully taught. And that each of us studies this and studies this faithfully. And so if any of you have any concerns ever about what we preach, about what we say, about something that you've heard, Get in touch. We'd love to talk and we've so appreciated there's been a number of people over the months who said hey you guys shared this or hey this was spoken and it concerned me or it didn't make sense can we talk about it yes we so want to talk about it we know that we're imperfect as well but ultimately as a team we want to be faithful to scripture we want to be faithful to what god has called us to we know we're not going to be perfect but our heart is is that as a church we would be a church who is sold out and solidly planted on God's word and that we discuss this and study this and get stuck in together and so for us as a church I want to challenge you and I and you personally as well don't build your faith in isolation yes we should have an intimate faith with in Jesus he wants us to know him as a friend and very close but if we study and if we research and we build ourselves on our own in isolation it starts to get dangerous because we can mislead ourselves. And so that's why God wants community. That's why He wants life group. That's why He wants friendship. Because iron does sharpen iron. And we ensure that we stay close to Him. The other challenge, don't believe everything you read on Google. (laughs) Google is amazing. And uh, I I mean, it's usually always truth, always. Um, Don't believe everything you read on Google. You can find something on Google for everything. You can find something that links up to what you believe, you find someone who's going to say what you want them to say on Google easily. You can easily do that. So I just want to say if you're searching for the truth, if you're searching for something that's on your heart, Google is probably not the first place you go to. Maybe a good place to check it up. There's some great sites, some great theological sites to go to, but Google is not a safe place to find your faith in. And uh, it's dangerous when it comes to that. We don't want to live by speculation. We don't want to live, as it says there, in vain discussion, but by a growing faith based on God's word. And this happens in many ways, as I said, with friendships with Christ followers, with friendships with, our, with people who don't know Jesus. Those are the best conversations that we can have, is to open up conversations together. Hey, what do you think about faith? What do you think about the Bible? Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it in an open and exciting and caring way. So stand firmly on God's word. And the bottom line that I so want to hear you um, coming out from us as a church is 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. Look at what it says. Now the goal of our instruction is love. We want to preach God's word. But if it doesn't come with a radical heart of God's love, if it doesn't come out of us, even when we share individually with people, if it doesn't overflow with the grace and the love of God, it's in vain. It's a clanging symbol. In, In Corinthians, Paul talks about it. He's like, you can do anything. You can move mountains in my name. But if there's not love behind it, it is a terrible sound. And so for us as a church, as we preach, for us as we have conversations, if ever you get the sense, guys, it's just not sounding full of Christ's love. Talk to us. If you've got friendships and you're chatting together and you've got a friend and you're talking and you're just like, this is sounding a little bit angry, have a chat about it because of what we share from Jesus doesn't come with a radical heart of love, there's a big problem. And then right at the end, 1 Timothy 1 verse 11 on this point, um, we do all this teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of our blessed God. We need to remember that our Bible knowledge and our teaching is all about pointing people to the good news of Jesus Christ. If it doesn't, we're missing the point. If our conversations with people don't point them towards Jesus and show them how mind-blowing, amazing, mind-blowingly amazing he is, we're missing the point of what we've called to. The same is true in our personal study with Jesus. If it doesn't bring you and I closer to Jesus, we're missing what it should be. What a great challenge from Paul on keeping the main thing the main thing, on standing on God's word and making sure that we don't divert side-side. To side. first one second one if the church is going to be what it should be in terms of how we lead and direct is to live out christ's mission look at this with paul i love it verse 12 i give thanks to christ jesus our lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful appointing me to this ministry even though i was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an arrogant man Paul was a man transformed. Once he was called Saul, Jesus rocked his world and he became Paul. And that is what Jesus is in the business of doing. He's in the business of absolutely transforming us. Death to life, uh, darkness to light, that's what he does. And that's what he does amongst us. We've been sharing over the past few weeks of people's lives transformed, of Brett coming to faith, of Tracy's friend from the BNB coming to faith. That's what we're about. We're about seeing lives transformed because that is what Jesus is about. And Paul is such a great example because he was absolutely transformed. He was, in fact, he was excited to persecute. He used to have the job of traveling to cities to persecute, to murder, to lock up Christians. He thrived on it. This is what he lived for. And on one of those trips when he was like, I want to head across to this area um, because I know that there's Christians there and I can't wait to lock them up and persecute them, Jesus sorted them and turned them around, transformed them from the inside out. That's what Jesus specializes in. If you're here today, I want you to know that you are never too far from God's love. Never. No matter what you have done, no matter what you do, no matter what you will do, you are never too far from God's love. You are never too beyond God's help. There is always hope. There is always hope when Jesus is at hand. And so for you personally, I don't know what you're facing right now. Maybe there's some tough stuff that you're going through. Maybe you're putting on a brave face at church. Maybe you're looking like everything's perfect. And everything's going well. But deep down inside, there's an awful lot of brokenness. I want you to know that Jesus is in the business of bringing hope. He's in the business of transforming. He's in the business of bringing an oasis where there is a desert. And he wants us to be about the same stuff in the world in which we live. He wants us to be hope bringers. To bring across his life and his hope. And that's where he gets down to in verse 15. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. And that's what we're about. We're about seeing people saved and transformed. And if I was to drill down one step further, you can jump across if you have your Bibles. Otherwise, I'm going to read it. Maybe flip over the page or on the same page to 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6. This is what Jesus is about. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the mediator, died on the cross for you and I, so that we might be saved and others might be saved as well. A doorway into a relationship with God, who gave himself as a ransom for all. A ransom for All. And I was talking to a number of pastors this week, and we were saying that it seems in many respects, there's kind of a churn amongst churches in Harare, where there's not necessarily over the past few years growth, or there might be, but it seems to be that there's certain people who suddenly don't like something at this church, and then they move to this one, and then you move to that one. And there's actually a churn, but there doesn't seem to be that much electric life change in, in Harare. And I want to say, Lord Jesus, and I want to pray this, Lord Jesus, may harvest be a place where there is real life churn, life churn, life change, where there isn't just churn from people moving from one church to another, but we see people transformed from death to life. And so please pray that with us. It's what we're praying as a leadership team as well. It's what we're about. It's our mission. And it should be at the forefront of our minds each and every day. Wherever we are in business, wherever we are in school settings, every person we encounter is an opportunity to bring God's kingdom. Every single person that we come into contact with. And linked to this, I want us to know that we are in a battle for souls and it's spiritual. Ephesians 6 tells us about this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul challenges us in Timothy in uh, in verse 18. Look at what he says, 1 verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight, uh, fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Why does he challenge him to fight the good fight? Because when you and I step out into what God has called us to, the battle really kicks up. It really grows. Because this is the thing with Satan and his work as thieves. They aren't omnipotent. They're not God. They're not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at once like God can. So they choose. They choose. They choose where will I be most effective. Where is that person stepping out in faith. Where is that person seeing a great impact. Great. Let's try and stop them from doing that. Whereas if we're living a laid back relaxed life. And we're not having any impact in the kingdom of darkness. He leaves us alone. No point. So I do want to know that whilst we're going after this as a leadership team, we've been praying together for protection for ourselves and for the church. When we step out and we say, we want to see the lost found. And when we really go after this, you've got to know the battle is going to ramp up. You've got to know that. And say he can do that in any different forms. He can can try whatever he does. He can bring dissension. He can bring struggle in relationships. He can try with sickness, whatever else he wants to do. So I do know that those sorts of things do happen, but I know that Jesus is the victor. And I know that what we're about is eternal life change. I know that he will pull us through. I know that he is always with us. And I know that what he calls us to is worth it. And that's what he was saying to Timothy. He was saying, fight the good fight. This is a fight worth fighting for. And the victory will be won. So for you and I, fight this. But do be ready to persevere. That's what he said to him. Fight the good fight. That means perseverance, having faith and a good conscience. Fight the good fight. So first one, stand firm on God's word. Second one, live out Christ's mission. There will be battle, but Jesus will um, overcome. Third one, be people of prayer. 1, um, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Pray means connecting with God. It means talking to Him. It means speaking to Him and hearing from Him. It's community. It's friendship. It's connection. Intercession is a lot more about crying out for a situation. Crying out for a person's life. Lord Jesus, please sort out the situation. Please do something. But it's all interwoven together. And Paul is challenging Timothy to say, As a church in Ephesus, pray. There is power in prayer. And I think a lot of the time... We just don't think prayer is that powerful. And I'll be honest in my own life. I struggle with that as well. There's some situations which I pray for, and I am praying, and at the same time I'm like, Jesus, I think that might be a little bit rough for you to do. I don't quite know if that person could be helped. I don't know if that situation could change. And I have to fight that and be like, if Jesus is who He says He is, nothing is impossible. But let's pray like prayer really changes things. Because it does. God works in and through our prayers to transform people's lives. And this is so interesting. He says, pray for kings and all those in authority. That's why we pray for our leaders. That's why we pray for the government. That's why we pray for um, those in power. God calls us to pray for them. We're not praying for them. Um, how can they lead in the way that they should? Because this is what's interesting. He says, pray for them. And look at Paul's logic. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He was talking into some of the roughest times at that point. Christians were under radical persecution, locked up, beaten, uh, killed. It was a horrific time. But he was saying, pray for the leaders, because if God changes their hearts, chooses to change their hearts, then guess what? We get to live a quiet, dignified life in all godliness. What is this flow? It's a lot harder to live that life when a nation's in turmoil. It's not that it's impossible, but it's a lot harder. And I've seen for us as a nation, without living through that for a long period of time, you do notice that it's harder for us to be a light and that it's just so easy to slip into depressing conversation. It's so easy to slip into lack of faith for change and transformation. It's really easy to do that. And God says, no, be different. Pray that we would see change. Why does he say this? It's because then he flows on. He says, if we are living a godly life, we're living in all godliness and dignity this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved amazing transformation he's saying if we see transformation in kings in rulers and things start to change in the city it's easier for us to live out a godly life shouldn't be it is it's easier to live out when things are going well at some points and as we do that more people get saved because people see Jesus in us Continue to analyze your conversation, what you say, how you say it, where you say it, and just see, is my conversation bringing life? Is it bringing joy? Is it full of godliness? Is it with dignity? Because that will point people to Jesus and who He is. I so don't want us to lose flavor. Jesus talks about um, us being salty bringing preservation, bringing flavor. And I so want us as a band of brothers and sisters on army duty for Jesus, a family, I so don't want us to lose the saltiness that we have when we're close to Jesus, when we're walking with him each and every day. Two more things. What else has he called us to uh, in the church? So he's called us to stand on his word firmly 100% as leaders, as a church. He's called us to live Christ's mission as leaders, as the church. He's called us to be people of prayer because prayer is powerful. And I've got two more. Next one. He's called us to correct and healthy gender roles because we're unique by God's design. And Honestly, brothers and sisters, we will never be people and the church that God's called us to be unless we embrace the design that he's put on us, and we live that out. When we do, it's electric because it points people to Jesus. So this is where um, Paul now gets to in Timothy. Instructions to men and women, uh, 2 verse 8. Just got a little bit to go. We have a little bit of prayer time on the back of that. So he says, God's created us, well he doesn't say this, I'm saying this. (laughs) God's created us male and female for a purpose. It's for a purpose. It's not by accident at all. God's given us equal value, absolutely equal value, but different roles to achieve His kingdom purpose on the earth. And we gain our roles from the Bible, not from society. From the Bible. It's God's Word. If we believe it's God's Word 100%, that's where we get everything we are from. We don't get it from society in which we live. And if anything in these sorts of passages makes you feel uncomfortable, it'll be because beliefs of society have invaded your beliefs in the Bible. That's why. If anything that we read in the Bible makes us feel uncomfortable, it's either sin in our life, sin definitely makes us feel uncomfortable, push against God, or it's what we're catching from media, from friends, from what's being said, and that differs from the Bible, and then we get uncomfortable because we're like, which one do we believe in? Which one do we trust? So if there's discomfort, check those out in your heart. But I love how Paul challenges the men first. He does it when he speaks. He hits the men first. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Why does he have to? He's just spoken about prayer. He's just spoken about saying we should pray. We should do prayer. Then again, he says, I want the men to pray. Why? Because as men, we often struggle to take the place God has called us to when it comes to spiritual things. It's easy for us to do it in business. When you step out, it's easy for us to take risks, to do those sorts of things when it comes to outside of the church walls. But then it suddenly seems inside the church walls we can become really timid, really shy. And you see us watching a rugby game. We're just going crazy, we're going wild. Or you see us discussing a business thing and we're just there and we've got confidence. And then suddenly we come to church and we just sort of feel a little bit in a strange place. And that's why Paul is saying to Timothy here, Get the men praying. Get them taking the place in church. Because a lot of the time, you don't have to challenge ladies to pray. A lot of the time, you don't have to challenge ladies to come and give words in church. In fact, a lot of the time, they're eager for it. Ladies, don't stop. Run hard after that. But you have to challenge the men to it. And I don't know why, but you have to. And so men, take your place that God's called you to in His church. It's important that we do that. so, so important that we live this out. Because Satan knows that there's a real place where men can have an impact that they aren't. And the context here of this prayer is definitely a public one. So men, when we, when we do it and we say, hey guys, let's pray out together as a church. Go for it. It should be deafening. The ladies should be like, oh my goodness, men, please. We'd love to hear ladies' voices more. It should be deafening. We should be going for it. We should be praying and bold about it. Because God has called us to it. And he needs Ladies to see it. He needs our kids to see it. Men, your kids need to see you praying. Your wives or, or friends need to see you praying. Putting God first and living all out for Him. And it will feel awkward at, start, at the start. It will feel awkward because you aren't used to it. But please go for it. And the link is the same to the next one. So every place men to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. So you're not lifting up your hands in anger. You're lifting up your hands to magnify Jesus. There's so many opportunities and songs that we sing when we worship to raise our hands. And I know I had to get over myself. But I know so often as a man, I was just like, but this isn't really me. You know, so sometimes I do like this. And then sometimes I'll be like one hand, but quite low. You know, you must watch those clips on YouTube about the different ways you do it. Like that. And in the end, I was like, this is ludicrous. I'm putting up my hands to say, I surrender to Jesus. I give him my all. Who cares? I want God to be magnified. I want Him to know that He is the most important thing in my life. And I want other people to see that as well. But we have to be challenged in this. Paul is like men. Raise your hands in worship. And so I hope on the back of this man, I might have to challenge this again, but I hope when we do other singing and stuff like that and there's a song about lifting your hands or just anywhere, I hope actually the ladies would look around and be like, oh my goodness, can these I'd put their hands down? It's so frustrating. I can't see and the ladies in front would be standing on the chairs because they're like, their hands are in the way. I can't see the words, you know? That's what I'd rather have ladies saying. I'd rather ladies be like, oh my goodness, these guys, they're just praying. And actually, sometimes Rich is trying to say, guys, next song. But the men are just praying because we can't stop them. And uh, they're raising their hands. And the ladies like, please, can you just move your hands or raise it to the side so I can see? That's what I'd love to see. Yes. So men, can I challenge us in that? Yes. Ladies, of course, do it. But honestly, a lot of the time, ladies, you're doing it anyway. So that's why Paul has to challenge the men. Otherwise, you'd say, ladies, lift up your hands. Ladies, pray. Without anger or argument. So... that was exciting (laughs) I'm excited great so he's talking to that he's challenging us and then he says ladies ladies um, to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and a good sense not with elaborate hairstyles I couldn't if I wanted to not that much hair Um, gold pearls or expensive apparel but with good works as is proper for women who profess worship so is he saying that you can't dress nicely not at all he wants us to dress elegantly you ladies are beautiful all of you, beautiful. He wants us to show that to the world because he's created us beautifully. Ladies, beautifully. Men, mm, questionable. Um, given us other talents and other um, abilities. Not, not always beauty. But what's he saying? He's saying that should not be the external. Yeah. It's not what I'm really after. Yeah. I've already made you beautiful. I know that I've made you beautiful. Regardless of what you wear, I've made you beautiful. Say so yes, dress dress. In a nice way, I'm um, dressed in a way that honors, um, that honors you and everything else and that looks good, but I'm um, after you clothing yourself in something more important, and that's good works. So, do you see, he talks about clothing, he says, don't dress this way, and then he says, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship Jesus. And good works come out of the overflow of what he's doing inside of us, in a manner of speaking, what we're wearing on the inside. So that's a challenge for all of us but for ladies that's what he's saying he's saying ladies I've made you beautiful I want you to pursue Jesus with all you have make him your number one and overflow clothe yourselves in good works and can I honestly say you ladies who harvest really deserve a hand because I just see ladies serving I see men serving as well but it's amazing to see from singing to doing teas to helping with communion to doing welcoming ladies thank you Thank you for serving. Thank you for doing that. And he says, out and about and out of the church walls, may people just sit in and go, oh my goodness, I can't get over the good works that that person lives up. I just can't get over it. And they'll ask the questions. You'll be able to point them to Jesus Christ. So, um, so, so go for it in that. And then he says, a woman is to learn quietly with full. Let's miss that. Missed verse 11. Uh, verse 12 as well. 13, 14, 15. Okay, next one. <laughs> I'm joking. We're going to hit it because there's something interesting in this. Right. Um, a woman should learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she's to remain quiet. Now, what's he talking about? Should ladies never speak? Not at all. In fact, in many places, Jesus encourages it. There's amazing prophetesses in the New Testament. Ladies doing incredible things for Jesus Christ. Is he saying that? No, he's actually speaking into order in church. He's speaking into gender roles and how that process works. And he follows it in verse 13, 14, and 15. So you'll see it. He is talking about roles. This is what he says. For, so he's spoken about verse 12, and now he gives a little bit of his argument. For, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Full stop. He's sitting going, Paul, you haven't really given too much to it. What he's doing is he's saying if you go back to the beginning of the world, out of God's choice, not ours, God was like, okay, I'm going to create man, he has a specific role, he needs to lead, he needs my man that's on the earth, and then I'm going to bring a helper alongside him. And he will never be able to do his duty on earth unless he has helpers alongside him to do it. He'll never be able to do it, but I'm giving unique roles which I've created from the beginning of time. And Paul just goes straight back to it. He's like, guys, it's Genesis, it's how God created us. So he, he says this is part of it, is in that sort of leadership set. Then he says something interesting. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. And I was like, each Paul, that is very rough. If you're saying what I think you're saying, that is nasty, Paul. Because I was like, so what you're saying, what you're saying is because Eve ate the apple, when she shouldn't have, ladies must be son. I was like, that just sounds just a little bit rough to me. It's not actually what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He's saying that there's two reasons why that flow out of it why there's a process of hierarchy in terms of not value but in terms of just how we do things in church structures and in family structures he's saying number one because god just made it that way number one god just decided that how he uniquely builds our dna we're just fitted for different things and i know this isn't always the case ladies aren't always like this but i know for sarah she just loves the home environment and the security of it i'm like I just don't think like that but she's wired that way to just make sure that there are meals on the table for us that the kids are actually looked after that they even have clothes to wear for school the next day i just wouldn't even think like that it wouldn't be in my processing i know this for some men but we're just wired slightly differently then when he goes to this next process what's he actually talking about he said in the garden of eden and i've got about two minutes left this is what happened adam was with eve at the tree let's just get that right adam wasn't off somewhere else adam was there Because the whole process happens, and then straight away, he is spoken to. So he was with her when this all happened. There was just silence. He didn't say anything. So he was there in the process. And then this is what happens. Obviously, Satan talks, and it says that Eve was deceived or whatever else, and she transgressed. But the actual process, what he is getting to, is the fact that what happened in that process is God's plan of leadership and structure didn't happen as it should and as a result there was a catastrophe in terms of the world so what he's saying is he's saying if our roles and how those play out don't happen as God intended from the beginning then catastrophe follows it'll follow in the home if we don't understand and appreciate and enjoy our roles and know that we both uniquely help each other in the process in church it'll be the same it'll lead to catastrophe and in society it, ha- it did lead through sin and it will lead to catastrophe so that's what he's getting at he's not saying oh Eve you sinned he's actually saying what happened was is the order of male and female got mixed up and the order of man, female that got mixed up there created sin that has destroyed society as we know it and so he's getting back to the point of saying guys keep to the order that God's given and then he says but she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith love and holiness, and this is why it is so important that Mark and Taryn are on the leadership team. (laughs) Because they take verse 15 seriously. Proper. Properly seriously. And so I just, as I read this, I was just like, boom, thank you, Lord. Mark and Taryn, this is you guys. (laughs) She'll be saved through childbearing. What's he actually talking about? By giving birth do we get saved? No. His follow-on is, there was obviously a curse that happened in the garden. The curse happened, men were cursed in terms of hard work. Ladies, it happened through childbirth. God said this is going to be painful. And actually what he's saying here is he's actually saying because of Jesus, there is hope. He's saying the order of things has been messed up. We can do it right. But what he's actually saying in this process is that, and he actually links it to, I'll read you a little verse, 1 Corinthians 3. It's, it, he follows the same, same format. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be, will be saved, but only as through the fire. and, And what he's actually saying in that is he's saying someone will be saved in a process in spite of the fire. Instead of through, it's really in spite of. And he's saying, ladies, do you know what? Jesus has your back and you will be saved for all eternity in spite of what childbirth might bring. And I know that we live in an age where there's a lot of healthy modern medicine. But in many parts of the world, there isn't. But you know that in the time that he was writing, there was no healthy medicine as we know it for ladies going into both marriage and then falling on from that hopefully into childbearing there was a huge amount of opportunity for death for sorrow for body not functioning properly much more than it ever was today where we've got the help of medicine so ladies went into marriage and pregnancy going there's quite a high chance that i'm going to die pretty high chance there's another high chance my body might never function perfectly again I might get infection or whatever else. So for ladies, there was a huge part. There still is now. I understand it. But in that time, the risks of childbearing and the curse from that was astronomical. Modern medicine has helped a lot. But what Paul is saying, and as I said, Mark and Tara are taking this seriously, is he was saying that you know what, ladies? Because Jesus died for the curse. Because he died for any transgressions that have come. He's saying that in spite of the fears and everything else that you have, you will be saved for all eternity. And Jesus, through the process of struggle and through the trial that you face, He will show Himself to be the Savior to you as you live in faith, in love, in holiness. Last point, you guys have been brilliant. This is a short one. So in line with that one, I just want to challenge us to say the Bible's clear on our roles. Don't shy away from them. Embrace them. Embrace them. ladies, embrace what God has called you to. Embrace it. Lead, lead in different areas. Get stuck in, get plugged in, lead in the roles. There's certain ones, yes, that God has said in terms of specifically eldership actually in the church, which we'll come to now, but lead and get stuck in. I wanna see ladies thrive at harvest and men take your place at the same time. The last point, we need healthy leadership. And this is um, what we did this morning. This is chapter three. And verse one is key. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, He desires a noble work. Overseer, elder, pastor, in the male sense. Men, same as when I challenge you in terms of prayer and lift up your hands. Not everyone's going to be an elder in the church. Not everyone's going to be a senior leader. But God says it's noble to aspire to lead. To lead for him and for his glory. So he says go after this for all that you're worth. We need men to take their place for us to accomplish what God has called us to for all eternity. And then what sort of character should we aspire to? This is particularly aimed at men. Ladies, there's things you can grab from it, but I'll read this and then we'll pray at the end, which is how we wanna live as leaders. Ian Ian said that. Um, it's what we see in Mark and what we see in Taron, And it's what we wanna see in the men at Harvest. I'll just read this. An overseer or elder must be above reproach. You've gotta understand, we're not gonna be perfect. No one is perfect, but we should be pursuing Christ for all that we can. We should be aspiring for this. An overseer should be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And that's where we see the male sense of it. Be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. Must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. And so I hope that you guys didn't see those other two kids that were here waving flags. words) <laughs> <laughs> If anyone doesn't do this, how will he take care of God's church? He must, he must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and a devil's trap. I think I just want to affirm this um, in leaders at Harvest. But I also want to affirm this in Mark, affirm this in Taryn today as well. In terms of the lives that you lead and in terms of what people see in you and what we should pursue in a healthy leadership. So those five things. Then I'm gonna pray, we're gonna respond. First one, as a church and as people, we need to stand on God's word. Second one, we need to live out God's mission and live it out for all we're worth. Third one, we need to be people of prayer. Fourth one, we need to be happy and thrive and flourish in the gender roles that He's given us and embrace them for all we're worth. And fifth, we need to aspire to healthy leadership. To people who are sold out for Jesus Christ and living all out for Him. No matter where we are in church, no matter what our age, we need to aspire to lead in the areas that God has called us to. Let's pray. Maybe just with our heads bowed, and we're in different journeys of faith. Just a few minutes for us to, to look at responding. Um, the Actually, can we stand? Sorry, I just want us to stand because I might even get, uh, get get some other different response. Let's just stand together. So um, just with, with your heads bowed, um, if you just maybe think through those five and let God speak to you as to where he wants to teach you from those. Maybe it's believing the Bible is absolutely everything and your life is bound on it. Maybe it's in actually living out His his call and his mission. Maybe it's in... Uh, just as I shared, it's in prayer and God raising that up in you. Maybe it is in the area of understanding and living our gender roles. Maybe it's in the area of aspiring to leadership. Just let him speak to you. He'll show you. He'll show you the different areas. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. Show us where there's areas of weakness. Show us where there's areas of sin. Lord, we want to be soft clay in your hands. We want to be um, so open to you changing and speaking to us. Please do it in my life. Please do it in our lives. Lord Jesus, we want to be the church that you've called us to be. We want to be the people that you've called us to be for your glory. For your glory. I just wonder, just um, with heads bowed, maybe you've come here today and you're going, actually when it talks about um, Jesus coming to seek and save and when it talks about Jesus dying and being a ransom, Paying the price of my sin. I realize that I actually need him. I realize I'm, I'm still in the darkness. I realize I've never given my life to him. And just with heads bowed. If there's anyone here. Um, I'd love you to just raise your hand. And say actually that's true. I've never given my, given my life to him. And I'd, I'd love to do it today. Um, is, there, is there anyone here. Who just says. I, I know that I need this. I know that I've got sin in my life. I know I've never asked Jesus to forgive me. Um, of my sin. Is there anyone. If you just slip up your hand. No one else is looking around. It doesn't have to be. But if there is. That would be amazing place today cool that's okay we want to keep giving these opportunities each and every week because we want to see people come to faith so I'd love us to raise our hands together yeah be brave especially the men Um, and this is what I want to do something quite different for 30 seconds I want you to pray into what we've spoken about. I want you to pray into those different areas in your life, in the life of the church. And ladies, you can join in this as well. Um, but, uh, and if you honestly feel very uncomfortable, that's okay. You can keep your hands down, or you can be quiet. But I'd love us to pray out loud together. Everyone's going to be praying together at the same time. Um, and I'd love us to pray into those areas. The more, the more that we all pray collectively, the more prayer we get done. And after we've done 30 seconds or a minute, then uh, we will take it away in our close. So um, let's do it. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. And and pray out loud. Don't be shy. Uh, No one else is listening. Keep your hands raised. Let's really pray. And then I'll close off. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're great and you're glorious and you're mighty, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you rule and that you reign supreme. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to live this out as your church. Thank you that we get to live it out, Jesus. Be magnified, be glorified amongst us in a special, special and powerful way. Thank you Jesus, thank you Father, more of you Jesus, more of you amongst us Father thank you Jesus, thank you Father more of you Lord Jesus, more of you more of you more of you Lord Jesus as we pray we 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 want to get better at this we know that we're learning some of us are baby steps as we get better at at praying and praying together as we get better at magnifying you and showing it and expressing it with our hands as we get better living for you we ask that the end result would be that you would be magnified and that many people would come to faith many people would be saved in this city and beyond in your incredible name we pray Amen. amen amen thank you lord